Hello, my friends. Welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm your host, Joanna LaFleur. This is season seven, episode two. We are sticking in New York this week. We got Andy Andrew, another pastor in the New York City area. They, um, she's part of Liberty Church. They got sites all over the city. But um, season seven, we're here. We're just kind of warming up. We got a really fun lineup, I think, really interesting lineup of people on this series. So subscribe. If you're not, share these episodes with other people. If you find them helpful, like, share, subscribe, rate, all that stuff that helps other people find uh, the podcast. Uh, but that said, we've got a whole back catalog of podcasts You're on our YouTube channel and the, you know, Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to podcasts, um, check out the back catalog. We got six seasons behind us now and a ton of, ton of conversations that I think will be valuable to you, will serve you, will serve the people in your life. So check out those YouTube videos or wherever you want to find them. We got tutorials as well on our YouTube channel, tons of practical things to equip you as a communicator, as a creative, as a leader in the church. We're um, just trying to offer you a ton of free resources as we continue to grow here at Word Made Digital. Um, we'll try to give you little glimpses of that along the way. If you want to know more, we're happy to share. Uh, let us know if you want to know more about what's going on over here. Maybe we can, um, you know, start some videos or whatever, some some bonus content about that if you're curious about what's going on, if that would encourage you. But hey, thanks so much for this whole thing coming together because of sponsors. This podcast exists because Compassion Canada and this season, The Church Co. are companies and organizations that have our back, that are believing in what we're doing, believing that you need to hear these conversations and they want to serve you as well in this way. So more about them later. But hey, I want to jump into this conversation with Andy Andrew. And before I do that, just want to let you know that she is this pastor in New York City at Liberty Church. She's author, speaker. She leads a huge conference. She has a TV show and a podcast called Coffee with Andy. And also um, her and her husband have been partnering more recently, ministering and serving pastors, really ministering to the needs of pastors so that they can endure in the long term in a really hard scenario in this world on fire scenario that we're living in. So you're going to love hearing from her, learning with her. Let's dive into that conversation. Welcome to the Word Made Digital Podcast with Joanna LaFleur. You're listening to Season 7. Word Made Digital brings you interviews with Christian creatives and communicators to inspire, challenge, and equip you in your own work. The church has the best news in the world, so we want to help you be the best communicators in the world. Here we go. Welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm pumped to have you on the podcast. I am so excited to be with you. Thank you for having me. Um, okay, so we have this mutual friend and actually Chadi is coming on the podcast this season as well. I recruited her talking about all things creative in the church. So I'm pumped about that, but she's given me some hints on you. So I think as a means of introduction, <laughs> she has said, I'm nervous. we should talk about... Brad Pitt from Legends of the Fall. <laughs> She's the worst. She is the worst. Tell me I'm what gonna this out means. her. What okay, this when mean? this is over, I'm gonna tell you. We were playing a game. I thought it was amongst friends who would never tell, but apparently she wants the world to know. <laughs> so it was one of those dumb games where you had to like, I don't even remember, but you had to like reveal some stupid secret crush that you used to have and I, I giggled so hard they're like what and I was like it was Brad Pitt Legends of the Fall Brad Pitt <laughs> and so <laughs> I I just remember I was in high school and I had the poster of him on my wall and I was obsessed with him and then for my birthday this year one of my friends that was in that room decided to get me a poster the same poster and I turned 43 this year, so that's a problem. There's no way to hang it <laughs> because my husband I was gonna say, where would be is like, that poster now? Um, yeah. it's still in it's in its role in my closet. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it away at Christmas to someone. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wrap it up and give it away. Oh, my gosh. She is so funny. Um, and the other thing is she says you love all things New Kids on the Block. So please yeah. tell me what is your favorite New Kids on the Block song? Have you seen them in person? perform like live performance 
Um, Mm -hmm. and when did you last, when did you last go to that concert? (laughs) Okay. That is so funny. It's so true. So growing up, I mean, they were my guys. I had like the big button, everything, Joey Joe, he was my guy. And the reason why is because they were all a little too old for me. So I thought, you know, Joey Joe, I could actually marry him, you know, cause he's close enough to my age. <laughs> Funny story. Right. My, this, my, is, this is a p- very pragmatic oh, about your crush. Very practical about my crush. Funny story. My sister-in-law saw him a couple of years ago at the airport and she's like, he doesn't look good. I was like, well, I'm glad I didn't marry him then. So, <laughs> but okay. So have I seen them in concert? When I was younger, we didn't have enough money to go to concerts, so we didn't get to go. I Every time they would come, I was so broken. Like, my best friend got to go, and she'd tell me all about it. But it was five years ago. I had a whole bunch of girlfriends that surprised me and bought tickets, and I went and saw them, and I oh my laughed. Gosh. I laughed so hard the whole con- concert because women my age and older were, like, losing their minds like they were 13, 18. Yeah. And I giggled. I think I just laughed. Like I enjoyed the music, but I laughed so hard the whole time. It was hilarious. And <laughs> you know, favorite song would be "Please Don't Go, Girl" because Joey was singing it to me. So there you go. That that's you know all of them. What about um, you? Did you do you, like were you a New Kids on the Block fan or no? You know what? I was more like a, I was. I'm a little bit younger than you. Not so much, but enough that NSYNC was my band. Oh, and yeah. Uh, you know, I, then I then. <laughs> followed into like the the future you know of Justin Timberlake's career and I've seen Justin Timberlake probably four times (laughs) uh oh my gosh actually the last tour he did out of the woods um friends again friends speaking we're we're on a theme of friendship today so we're Mm -hmm. let's let this is why I'm starting the conversation with this kind of like (laughs) let's get to know each other joking around uh, because uh, my friends, as a thank you for something, um, bought bought me and another girl tickets for Justin. And oh. then I liked it so much, I figured since I hadn't paid for it the first time, he actually oh, came yeah. back to Toronto. It was like, because he sold out multiple arenas, Shows, I guess. Yeah. So he came back later in the tour uh, and did the same show again. And you said... And I bought tickets to go back because I hadn't yourself. paid for the first one because it was a <laughs> gift. I treat, treat yourself. <laughs> uh, I went again. And That's amazing. It was, I mean, he's... I mean, if any Gen Z are listening, they're rolling their eyes about this. But I really think he was, you know, just super talented. The show was fantastic. He is so talented. You know who else is talented? Boy bands I'm not ashamed never to say die. it. I'm not ashamed to say Justin Bieber. I would see him in a minute. If the tickets, <laughs> well, there, like, there's our, there's like un- down the road ashamed. Canadian. <laughs> yeah, I know. There Justin you go. Bieber and uh, Sean Mendes. I mean, Drake, I know the Canadians. The weekend, Come on, they're guys! All like Toronto boys. Yeah, that's, that's so right. Awesome. That's all these go for Toronto. better and for worse. I guess. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, and you even say it pr- pretty close. Toronto. You know, when I introduce, I'm from Toronto, but. Oh. Nobody here says, everyone says Tron, Toronto here. Well, it's kind of like I lived, <laughs> I mean, you know this, I lived in Australia and they say Australia, Australia, like they don't say it. And people are always yeah. like, Australia. I'm like, no one says it like that, you know, and it's not Aussie, it's Aussie. <laughs> so when people That's are like, it. oh, do That's you like it. the Aussies? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so as we're continuing to get to know you, uh, tell us a little bit about your context. Like you've sort of alluded to, mm-hmm. you've got a husband who probably wouldn't like your new kids on the block poster. You've no. got some kids. Um, like, give us a little bio on you. Where yeah. are you at? Um, what's your what's the what's your life look like? Yes. So right now, presently, I am sitting in my bedroom in Brooklyn, New York, and my husband and I moved here 11 years ago from Sydney, Australia, which my husband is Australian. So I was born and raised in Washington state and moved to Sydney when I was 22 and married him. Oh no, I was 21, married him the following year. Um, Cause you know, we just were like, yeah, let's get married. Um, and so we li- I lived there almost 10 years and then moved here. We planted a church uh, in 2010 and it's called Liberty church. And so it's multiple communities. Uh, we have planted, uh, three here in the city. We have got, uh, yeah. So one in Brooklyn, two in Manhattan, we've got one in St. Pete, Florida. We've got one in London and we've got one in Eswatini, uh, Manzini. 
Manzini is um, a, a city in southern Africa in the country of Eswatini. Used to be called Swaziland. So over the last 11 years, really, we've planted churches and put leaders over those churches. And really, we have overseen that. Um, more so my husband these days. Uh, four kids in New York City is a lot. And uh, through a pandemic, <laughs> I'm sure we can talk about a lot of no stuff. Kidding. So, so yeah. And, yeah, so there's so much, and I do really, I do a lot of writing. I do a lot of speaking and traveling to the greater body of Christ. So my husband really is like at the helm of the ship for liberty, and I do a lot more like outside of liberty. But I mean, so that's kind of, and I have a podcast. <laughs> so life is like yeah. very fluid, and we're figuring it out always, you know? <laughs> I love it. Well, and I'm, and you're talking about how you've planted these churches all over. So maybe, uh, you could give some context on like, what is, how does that model work? What I'm really kind of get to is Mm -hmm. did with COVID and like everything having to go online, were you already set up for that when like the lockdowns came in spring 2020 or, mm-hmm. uh, or were you like doing a pivot all over the world? Cause the whole world was affected and you were a global church. So what, yeah. what does that look like for you guys? Yeah, we really had to take care of context in that. And we've always let our communities lead contextually. So we're a family like with the same last name, but really uh, they would, they need to reach their context because it looks different in every city um, and every country. So yes, we were set up for online. So like our Florida community, our, uh, our London community, and then New York communities, we were already having online, like an online experience, if you will. But that totally mm-hmm. and radically changed. We kind of came together and ended up doing more combined, like we um, really brought our efforts together. So we had the preaching roster would be like all of the different community pastors and leaders and all of us emceeing. And we kind of came together and did a more of a conglomerate. Our guys in Eswatini, they, they can't stream really. So what they did is they used WhatsApp. Like WhatsApp was pivotal for okay. them. And they said they yeah. had the most wild, crazy, like prayer meetings on WhatsApp. Like, so that was the, the avenue. And that so they, just to be mm-hmm. really, really specific about WhatsApp, do you mean like they were, they were texting or they yes. were on audio or was it a video live stream or what did they, because I think for a lot of North American people, WhatsApp, we have it, but it's not used the way it is in other countries. Mm-hmm. I was talking to a comms leader in India and WhatsApp is huge for evangelism in India. And mm-hmm. so can you just like be, you break it down a little more. What the heck are they doing on WhatsApp? We have so much to learn. <laughs> well, they are. So they, um, I mean, what we would do is we would send them the, um, we would send them the service. It'd have to be a couple of days before because downloading it took so long. And then whoever was right. able to stream it, because not everybody has access to high speed internet. So it would be more mm-hmm. that they would get the audio. They would get the audio of the service and they would play that. And then they would have prayer meetings where they would pray via text or voice memo. And honestly, like their church really grew. They cared for each other in amazing ways, but that was the way that they were able to use that technology. So they did a really great job. Like every single one of the communities figured out pivoting. I mean, our London community, I kid you not, they had just launched and I think they had only two months or so until they shut down. They've been shut down longer than they have been relaunched and opened back up. So they, it was difficult for them. It was like they, they had a false start almost and they have a whole new community. Like it's all, they have a few people that were at the beginning, but most people have either moved, moved on and they've really started again in this time. So that's where they're at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so then in, in your world in New York, um, (laughs) how's it going? Like, do you feel like it's a whole new, do you feel like people have like a lot of people talk about the great, like the same here in Toronto, uh, the exodus out of cities Mm. by a lot of people, um, Mm -hmm. is the community that you're serving locally there? Is it the same people? Is it a whole new crowd? (laughs) Uh, where are you at with that? So I would say, gosh, yes (laughs) to all of those. So really, truly, I think I mean, I'll go personal and technical. Personally, I have never grieved so much in my whole life. I mean, Mm. we have, yes, there was a mass exodus. I mean, it's still the great migration. People are shifting and moving and changing still. It's not, uh, it hasn't finished. You're right, it hasn't stopped. No, it hasn't stopped. And I think someone said that the population of San Francisco left New York. I mean, it was wild and, and it felt like Brooklyn was okay where I lived as in like when you walked to the store, it didn't feel so desolate. But parts of Manhattan, when you would walk around, it was weird. 
It was like, there. where are people? I mean, I know you're in downtown Toronto. So it was like that eerie feeling. Yeah, it felt like apocalypse down yes. here. Like spring 2020. It was creepy walking the streets. Yeah, yeah it really, yeah. really was. And I... And so I think, yes, when I look at our churches now and the communities that we have, I mean, we've turned over leaders, which has been painful. Mm. Um, people, you know, yeah. the people you're like, we're going to do life together forever. <laughs> and then, nope, um, we've lost yeah, huge, wow. huge contingents, families, people. Um, we have, I would say, a remnant, if I can use that word, of people that still remained in New York. And I, uh, what God keeps bringing me back to is Nehemiah, and it has given me so much hope. Nehemiah chapters one through three specifically, because what I look at is how in Nehemiah one, he was weeping and grieving and mourning, but then he, he got a plan and he went to the King and asked, can I go and rebuild? And when he went, like he started to rebuild and I love chapter three, actually, even though most people would skip it because it's a whole bunch of names. But if you read it multiple times, it says, and next to them and beside them and next to them. And it talks about those who remain to rebuild what was broken because a lot of people were in exile. So we've had a lot mm -hmm. of exiles, people go, but there are people that still remain in what's been broken down that are rebuilding. And then there's new people that are excited to come and be a part of the rebuilding. So I would say that's where we're at after you know, it feels like we have been in one of the bloodiest battlefields. I don't know if it's felt like that too, spiritually minded, like spiritually, it's just felt like a bloody battlefield. And I don't, sorry if that's offensive, because I realize it just no, said something very British. Yeah, it's real. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's, that's kind of what it's been like. And I'm a real feeler too. And I am like loyal to people. So then I've just really, it's been hard. It's been difficult. You know? Yeah. No, I, I appreciate you saying like the word grief, because if you didn't say it, I was going to poke at that a little further <laughs> next, because mm -hmm. I think there is so much, whether you're leading a church or leading a family or, uh, you know, trying to find a job, students, like every students who have lost so much of what their college experience was, or there's just a lot of, gr there's just so much grief. And it's mm -hmm. like, I remember when the pandemic stuff started a year and a half ago or whatever now mm -hmm. feels like it's almost been going two years. On it feels five, like it five, feels like five jillion years ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, well, it was like, usually when somebody's in crisis, when you have, when you're in crisis, you have friends who aren't in crisis, who can come around and support you. But it's like, everybody was in crisis. Like yes. there was nowhere that was a, a, re a human relationship that was um, yes. solid. Uh, mm -hmm. everyone was like trying to manage, a, um, well, a, something no one in the world, like no one living yeah. today had ever experienced. Mm -hmm. And so we were all just like trying to like survive. It, it sounds so dramatic, but in some ways it was true. Like we were just trying to get through the day yeah. and the week. We didn't have enough information to know if everyone was going to die of this disease. We just didn't know anything yet. And yeah. so it was, it was this huge amount of grief we've all felt. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's over yet. Like we're still, it's like waves of it are still coming. Like, yeah. especially in our relationships, right? Where we're realizing relationships have changed. Our social circles have shrunk. Mm -hmm. uh, people have moved away. I'm, I'm feeling that too. Like we all feel that people, even if you live not in a city, there have been so many people who have moved, like mm -hmm. dear people we love who've moved uh, away. So yeah. I mean, how do you, <laughs> how do you go through, how do you do that? I mean, I guess maybe this is like a broad question, but how are you managing that yourself? Yeah. And maybe you haven't even had time yet to, to, to go no, there. Cause I had heart. a major, I had a major crash and burn. So I don't know. I mm. think we, we all know. So if you don't grieve properly, what happens? Grief is stored up in your body. Scripture tells us Jesus comforts those who mourn. And if we're going through survival, we're not mourning, we're not grieving, we're not comforted. Yeah. And like, like you said, it was a collective. It is a collective grief. And now we're sitting in 2021, near the end of 2021, in the aftermath of people either dealing with it or not dealing with it or still dealing with it. So we're still seeing the yeah. fruit of how everyone faced the last year and a half. And you're right, there are still different waves that are coming at us. So how... How did I deal with it? Um, it was probably about eight months ago, I would say, from when we're recording this, that I, I had a, like a major crash and burn where I said to my husband, I said, I'm concerned about myself um, and the thoughts that I'm having. The Here's the deal. I'll say this clearly. My temptation is not to cheat on my husband. <laughs> 
my temptation is to leave my calling, to Mm. step away from it all, to like flip over tables and flip everybody off and walk away from it all. And just in an angry fashion because of my pain, because I haven't dealt with it. So I told him all the vulnerable things that um, you tell a husband. He said, you need to tell Irene who Irene Rollins. She is another woman. I would say, I mean, get to know her too. She's phenomenal. One of my closest friends call her up and I say, here's where I'm really at. I did the vulnerable conversation because I think she says this all the time. She says, you need to be authentic with many and vulnerable with a few. So be who you truly are, be authentic, whatever table or wherever you show up. But there is a vulnerability. It's not for the internet. It's for a few people that are in your real life. And so she's in my real life. I mean, she doesn't live in the city, but I called her. I said, I'm scared to tell you all this stuff, but here's where I'm at. She goes, okay, well, we need a game plan because you're not going to be taken out. And she's like, so I'm going to, I want to send you to this place in Colorado, um, a counseling center. I did a two week intensive and checked myself in. My husband came too. And then she said, and I'm doing a celebrate recovery group for pastors. And, um, I'm just starting it. Do you want to be a part of it? It's a step study. And, um, so recovery for people that are listening, it's not just for addiction. It's for, I mean, for me, I'm like, hi, my name is Andy and I am a believer who is recovering from codependency, people pleasing with a little side of anger for self-protection. Like this is why I'm Uh, there is that I think the desire to please everybody in a time where you can't please anybody was all about my pride and my ego and needing to be right. And I started to crash and burn and it was killing me. And I didn't want to do this anymore. Still love Jesus. Didn't want to do anything else. So I went away and it radically changed my life. And I came back and uh, like, I can't, I have never had a counseling experience like that. It's called Crossroads in Buena Vista, Colorado. It's, it should be Buena Vista, but they say Buena. (laughs) And um, (laughs) they're going to look through the Spanish there. Yeah. yeah. But it was wild. It was wild. And, And then I've been in recovery with a group of women that are walking, have all walked through, like have been at the helm of a battle that has been difficult where you can please no one, where no one loves what you say. So you've got to figure out what it looks like to please Jesus and follow him at a time where everyone's still being shaken and the trees being pruned and things wow. are being cut off. So I, I, that was a long way of explaining how I personally had dealt with it, but also how I've chosen to rebuild and build healthy relationships around me um, in this season. Cause it's actually really, it's saved my life, not isolating myself. Pausing for a moment because this episode is brought to you by The Church Co. If you don't know The Church Co, you've got to check them out. I've been talking about them for years, so it's really uh, fun and meaningful to have them partner with this season of the podcast because I really do believe in what they're doing and I have worked with them and have bought their products before. They're literally building people websites for free, you guys. You sign up, you choose a plan, and then they have a team of web designers build you a website at no additional charge. So you might already have a website, but honestly, their sites look as good, if not better, than websites that cost thousands of dollars. And they have really unique features that a lot of church websites don't have because they weren't built specifically with churches in mind. So things like church online, CHMS integrations, digital prayer, small groups, events, sermon content, and a ton more. The best part, I think, has to be the price. They do all this for $29 a month. And right now, they're offering you, the listeners of Word Me Digital, 20% off a discount of your first year when you use the code digital. You know, like Word Me Digital, the code is digital. Honestly, I think it's a no-brainer. If you're looking for a new website for your church, for your leadership, uh, whatever it is that you're building, find out more at thechurchcode.com. And don't forget to use the code digital to save 20%. Because we're just meeting, we have some some common people, but didn't I, we've never met until say. So I appreciate um, you just being real about this stuff, as you say. Be authentic. Mm. Uh, I love that. Be authentic with many. Be vulnerable with a few. Yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, I'm learning. You are you are modeling it right now in the conversation. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it's it's just huge. Like I think I've talked to lots of people 
um, who are maybe not fully aware yet of how much they're dealing with. And it's that thing which we see people just get, we've seen people in the last year, right, get taken mm-hmm. out. They're done with ministry. And especially most tragic, they're done with their faith. Like this whole yes, movement of quote unquote deconstruction and there's the But not reconstructing to anything. And, but, oh my gosh. Right. But so yeah. they're just sort of wandering orphaned souls in mm-hmm. the desert or something. Yeah. And um, it's a temptation for all of us, right? It's mm-hmm. like, forget it. It's it's crappy. There's so many problems in church, mm-hmm. evangelicalism. I'm out. Yeah. And and it feels like a fashionable thing to do in some ways. And, mm-hmm. and there are some real concerns and real critiques that need yes. to be made. Sure. Um, there's some, but... But then to be, it's interesting even just to hear on the leadership side of it, like this is how this affects real people. Like when everyone's mm-hmm. mad at you all the time, mask, no mask, vaccine, no oh. vaccine. I don't know, a thousand <laughs> other issues. I've never felt so hated in all of my life, mm. literally. Like, wow, wow the wow. hatred that has come out. And I'm like, I, I, I don't understand. But it really has brought out a part of me that has had to cling to Jesus only because I know that sounds wild, but you're right. Like, but it broke me. It really broke me this year did, Mm -hmm. um, or two years. mm -hmm. Do you feel like that whole thing, like we were joking, like I I was saying, you didn't use the word, I used the word apocalypse. Downtown Toronto Mm. felt like apocalyptic, but that apocalypse is the unveiling. Um, So in some ways it is a truthful statement. Yeah. Like a lot of stuff has been unveiled. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you think God's doing in the world? I mean, maybe. See, the prophet like, in me like is, is very excited about it unveiling. too. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think this is the thing too, is we, we want, we want comfortable. We want safe. We want things to be back to normal. I'm using air quotes as you listen, but what does that even mean? And where do we get that from the gospels and from scripture? Um, I think for me, what I noticed, uh, John 15, I want to get a big vine like tattooed on my arm because it was like, John had to remind me like, or John, Jesus had to remind me of John 15 over and over and over again. When, when people were pruned or cut, when things were pruned or people were cut off or things were cut off, he's like, do you not trust who I am? Because you have this picture of how life should be, how the church should be, but I I am the vine and my father is the gardener and you are the branches. Mm. So therefore, do you trust me to do my job? And I'm like, please forgive me. My pride is like front and center. So what do I believe God is doing? I mean, there is a great shaking, but there's also a great awakening. There is an unveiling and we are seeing, and this is the thing that we're seeing in ourselves and we're seeing in people around us, who has built their house on the rock and who's built their house on the Mm. sand. And because this is the thing, when I am in the word on a daily basis, like I know who my God is, but what I've realized, I talk, oh my gosh, like I talked to some people that I thought, like these are passionate believers that have big platforms and they're like, I'm not going to lie to you. I've been reading the word for the last few months. And I'm like, (sighs) like, it's just the reality of, I'm like, I'm too tired or I'm too weary. I'm like, no, you're not. You're not tired enough to commentate on everybody's life, but you're too tired to like, (laughs) do you, (laughs) So I just, it's been, I think it's not bad to shake things down to remind ourselves of what truly matters. And we, um, because I know discipleship is your passion, one of your passions too, um, is that my husband said this one thing and I, I felt like it was a shot to the heart, but it was like the Holy Spirit was saying it. He goes, well, Andy, we are seeing the fruit of our labor. And he said, and some of it is good and some of it is not good. Mm. We're seeing what we have discipled people to. And um, and we can't take all the ownership for people's choices, obviously, but it also was very revealing for us as leaders to see uh, <laughs> how selfish people are and what their needs are <laughs> out there. Or they're not really following Jesus. Right. They want you to fix it. So, right. yeah. Yeah, well, the and the and the social club uh, aspect of church, right? When the social mm. club goes away, like when we can't get together hey. in person, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, where you here for the social? And not that, like, again, like you know, one of the reasons we're talking today, we're talking about your book on friendship. We like mm-hmm. the social part; that's good and yeah. part of Christian life is the community we get together, we get from from you know following Jesus, but. 
But if that's all it was for you, you can get that a lot of other places. Oh, and people are. And that's what's happening, yeah. right? And so yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's what we're seeing. And so even with, uh, gosh, you were talking about deconstruction and my heart has just broken too, like you said, for all the orphans. And my prayer is that that leaders, pastors, people people that are called to build the church will, will begin to create spaces and and really check themselves and go, what is the genuine need here? What do, I mean, people mm. really need the gospel. They need the reality of Jesus. What does that look like? What does that look like on a daily basis to show people what it is to repent of their sin, of their lives, and to follow in the way, truth, and life instead of following in their own way, truth, and life. And I think sometimes we've made it too easy. <laughs> no, I'm a super intense person though. So I know not everyone loves that either. I can be a lot of fun and then scare you. So that's, <laughs> yeah. Well, mm. you know, I remember in seminary years ago, so my memory of it is broad, not specific, <laughs> but that in the first centuries of the church, there were these documents where you could read of like how hard it was to become a member of the church <laughs> where, and so the debate when it was brought up in our seminary courses was like, basically like you had to like, not like a series of tests necessarily, but your life had to be a certain kind of way in order for them to believe because they were worried you probably would come in and kill them. Like you were going to, you know, like they were going to be <gasps> martyred. Yeah. So, so there was like these whole, all kinds of like stipulations and filters to let someone enter the church. And when we mm. come from a, a context of like seeker friendly, like everyone's welcome, this big wide open door, um, I'm not, again, I'm not saying that that's bad. I just, it's interesting to see in the early church, it was like the exact opposite. Like you yeah. had to work really, really hard if you wanted to. It's like, you know, like it was like a secret society that you <laughs> had wild. to know about and you had to prove all kinds of things about the kind of life you were living in order to be able to come to their meetings. Wow. Um, but I think that's where I'm just it going. It made it really mm -hmm. hard. Like you only yeah. were coming if you were serious about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the thing too is going, this is what I realized too is I, I I had maybe this understanding that others all knew you you we just lay our lives down this is a surrendered life it's a it's about you it's about us and it's not about us it's about the lost and the broken it's about building I mean the community aspect is so vital I mean Jesus shows us his circles even, how he had his three, his 12, the 72 that he sent out, the multitudes that he was around. It's, it's integral to our formation to be in community with one another and to be, be in discipleship together because it's where we grow and mature in relationship. But I think what I, I mean too when I'm saying it's like we've made it too easy is that we haven't showed people that it is a life laid down. Like we die to self. We pick up our cross on a daily huh. basis and we follow Jesus. And, and so anyway... <laughs> It's been, I, I feel like I went on, like, on a little bunny trail, but it's been a wild no, ride. Good. It's been a wild yeah. ride. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, I mean, it's interesting then you, you release a book about friendship <laughs> in the middle of this. Yeah. Um, I don't know when you wrote it because of course, publishing cycles are mm -hmm. longer. If you know, you, I mean, you don't usually write a book and then it gets published two months later. So I'm not sure when you writ wrote this, but you know, why are you writing about friendship? Maybe it's some, in some context, maybe in some ways it's a redundant question because we're talking about how these relationships affect us, but why, why'd you write this book? So what's funny is I proposed this book before 2020. So this was not, had nothing to do with mm. uh, what was going on. It just happens to come out at a time where people desperately need to choose to reconnect again. Uh, which only God can do that. And I think where, where we need to choose to step out of isolation and self-protection and into genuine relationship with other people. But for me, this book came out, or this book was something that I felt like, I think I could write about this, even though I am not an expert and I'm completely imperfect in relationships, but I, I feel like I have done some hard yards here. What happened for me was, it was probably about five years ago, as I noticed that I had these cyclical issues with, uh, with women specifically, huh. uh, in relationship with women. Now, I, I realized that I would attract people, like this, just weird stuff would happen, and I was like, what is my issue? How come I cannot, like I am a grown woman in my late 30s, I should be able to build female friendships. And they were just burning to the ground around me. And um, 
what ended up happening was, is I started to realize I was seeing some cycles that I picked up when I was younger. And so, I mean, Hmm. the first chapter out of the gates is called the woman wound. (laughs) And I know a lot uh, times we talk about the father wound or things like that, this void that we have. But I realized some of my codependency, people pleasing, carrying other people's issues for them came from issues that I had with my mom. Now, I'll say this right now. My mom and I have this beautiful redeemed relationship that we have both worked very, very hard at. But um, I had to really face some stuff in my relationship with her. Um, and she was, when I was younger, what I would, she was going through it. And now that I'm a mother of four, hello, I realized, man, I'm going to need to be paying for my kids' therapy when they're older for some of the stuff that I've done. <laughs> so I have so, like, I have so much grace and love for my parents and the fights that they were fighting and trying to stay together for us, you know? And so, but I realized growing up, I was her emotional mother. So my mom would dump stuff on me that as a little girl, teenager, I was way too old or way too young to carry. And that just transferred into my female relationships as an adult, like my fear of rejection, my fear that I wouldn't get it right. I would, I would carry things for people that weren't mine to carry. I was boundaryless. I didn't know how to have a healthy connection to another woman without needing her to be something extreme for me. And so I just really started to heal. I needed to go back to move forward. And, and that's kind of where I started to deal with my, my issues with self-preservation, being on the outside, looking in, looking for women to, Mm. does that make sense? So what's so funny is I really, I started writing it during 2020, 2021, and then it just happens to come out now when the doors are starting to crack open for, you know, are we going to be okay out here? (laughs) Can we come out now? And and emotionally, (laughs) emotionally, can I come out and connect with other people now? Is that okay? Right. Right. Well, and uh, yeah. And in a time where, as we said, like we've been disconnected, but also Mm -hmm. our relationships have changed. I think they've been not just disconnected, but reevaluated. Who are yes. my priority people? Um, how do I want to spend my time? I think even some identifying for all of us around, wow, that feels like an unhealthy place. So mm-hmm. maybe maybe let's start there. Or We're not starting. We're halfway through a conversation. <laughs> but in, in terms of the book, starting on mm-hmm. like that toxicity piece, yeah. how can you, how could people identify, uh, what are some of the cues for you, the yellow flags of like, this might not be a healthy relationship, whether it's you doing it or the other person doing it. What are some of those no, uh, red flags for you? I, I think for me, what I have learned is when someone, a couple of things, one of the main ones for me that I have learned and what I realized is it was an issue for me is when it would make me mad all the time. I was like, why am I so angry? But it, it's this, I am, I am very willing to own my crap. But when, when you're in a relationship with someone who is unwilling to own their side of things, like danger, that's just a warning light on the dashboard. So that's a boundary issue. So I think for me, what I've learned, I mean, I have a few different things where I talk about boundaries, but everybody knows like Townsend and Cloud, just go get any of their books and it'll rock your world when it comes to boundaries yes. or necessary everybody endings. Everybody should or <laughs> read those books. Yeah. yeah. Necessary endings, safe people, all of those will actually help you help inform uh, relationships that are safe or not, but dealing with toxic relationships, you're right. When we were all separated from each other, what ended up happening was, is we really did reevaluate everything, every relationship we had. Um, and then the fact that we were on social media, we started to see what the, the manifestation of people's hearts <laughs> and you went, yeah. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that was in there. Um, and so right. we, ha- Look, whoa, <laughs> whoa, <laughs> I'm in shock a little, you know, you don't have to say everything yeah, like, on the socials. Well, <laughs> it's true. Like just, you know, just in the last few days was some girls talking about like how many people they've muted, unfollowed, yes. like it's just too much. Can't deal yeah. with it anymore. It's yeah. kind of weird, but I think for me, it's a boundaries thing. So I, I want to read you something really quick, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, just yeah, from, please. from, well, interestingly enough, this is at the end of the chapter about navigating betrayal. So I give this quick word on boundaries, but I say in essence, a boundary is a definitive line that defines who owns controls and is responsible for something. Fences on property lines exist for a reason, to let each owner know what they need to take care of on the plot of land they own, but also not to cross into the territory where they have no ownership or jurisdiction. And I think for toxicity and relationships, paying attention to the people that continually knock down your fence and drag their crap into your yard and say, take care of this for me. Like that's, 
that's toxic. Go, no, put my fence back up. Go and see somebody that can actually help you. I am here for you. I am your neighbor. I will love you, but I can't fix that for you. And so I think yeah. being aware of that, and, and there's just three things on boundaries that I think really quickly that can give people to help with just the evaluation of where friendships are at is, is number one is this boundaries are about valuing ourselves and others. We, when we practice healthy boundaries, we are empowered to build relationships grounded in love. Um, so even think about this, it can be marriage, it can be friendship, but in my marriage, like I know it's my, my heart issues to fix. I can't make, my husband's not Jesus, so that's not his job. Um, <laughs> yeah. but I know it's mine. I know it's his. And then boundaries, number two, they inform us. If someone crosses one of my boundaries, the world doesn't fall apart, but it's as though a warning light appears on my dash. It's information. And number three, boundaries protect us. We are each called to guard our hearts. So that includes our values, thoughts, feelings, passions, sins, weaknesses, history, and strengths. And I think, yeah, I just think ownership is key. You got to own your life. You've got to take care of your own heart. You got to do the work. Um, and safe people and good friends are going to be doing the same thing. It's not going to be perfect, but they're going to be like, you know what? I'm going to take this to Jesus. That's not for you to fix or carry. <laughs> Pausing for a second because we have to talk about Christmas that is coming. Are you already listening to Christmas music? Is that uh, like a November 1st, you know, after Halloween, you switched on the Christmas music or like you're protesting, you won't listen to Christmas music, you won't put up your tree until, I don't know, after Thanksgiving or, you know, after uh, <laughs> after December 1st, hits. whatever it is for you, Christmas is coming, whether you love it or dread it. And I'm excited to tell you about Gifts of Compassion, the gift guide from Compassion Canada. Every year they launch a gift guide and it's in the up to Christmas, but of course you can give all year long if you're looking for a gift. There's something in this guide for everyone. I love it. If you got like a techie uncle or a sibling that loves animals, or maybe you have a dad that's impossible to buy for, or hey, maybe you just, your mom wants a surprise stocking summer and she's a grandma who loves kids and would love to get involved with this kind of stuff. What's so amazing about the gifts of compassion is that these gifts directly help people who are living in poverty. So Seinfeld has just come back to Netflix or come yeah. on Netflix for the first time. And yeah. one of the very first, so I'm, I'm starting my way through the series and it's, you know, it's like I've done Parks and Rec and The Office and yes. Friends and now it's, you know, like I've done them all a few times and it's just like that background stuff you have when you're yeah. cooking or doing yeah. stuff around the house. So there was this episode, one of the very first episodes and it's about male, it's called male unbonding and it's Seinfeld <laughs> is trying to break up with his guy friend. But he's like, he's like, when you get a friend, like you with a, with a, with a romantic relationship, you can break up with them. But with a, he's joking on the whole joke of the show <laughs> is like when you've had this friend your whole life, but you don't like them and you have nothing in common or they're kind of a jerk, like <laughs> you feel like you just have to avoid hanging out with them, but you don't actually know how to break off the relationship. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you got to watch the episode if you haven't, it's a really funny dynamic. We all been there. Uh, how do you, how do you break Did you have to break up with friends? How do you break up with friends? Like, oh, oh man, what do you do? You're not though. Like this is not, not a lie. I should have done a whole chapter on this too. I allude to it, talk about it with one friend. So listen, I, I have a friend. She's still my friend of 20 plus years, known her longer than my husband. Chadi knows her too. Um, we're all good friends together, but her name's Tanya. I write about her in the book and we went through a season where we broke up. 
We totally broke up. It was horrible. But mainly, it, it, it had <laughs> it is to, horrible. It is horrible. But it had to do yeah. with this weird situation um, where she would be the, the wound of a friend. Like, she would give the wounds of a friend. She would tell me the truth and say, don't become friends with that person. Guard yourself. They want something mm. from you. And every time it would crash and burn, she never said, I told you so, but she could have. So it got to a place where there were a few things on both of our ends and we stopped talking to each other. We had this breakup for about a year until this one moment where we're in worship about a year later at this worship night and we both start sobbing and forgive each other. But we both knew, wow. gosh, this is going to be awkward to step back into relationship together. So we went out, went out to a meal and we basically both gave our spoken expectations to each other. We said, this is this is what I need. This is what I want. This is what I'm willing to do. We both did that for each other and we just started rebuilding from there. So look, you can break up and get back together, but then what do you do when you do break up? Right? Okay. So, <laughs> oh my gosh. Especially because just like in a romantic relationship, like your lives are <gasps> intertwined. You've got mutual friends. What if they all invite you to a birthday party? Like what you're going to do? <laughs> and I would say sometimes things, okay, sometimes it's not even just a breakup. It's seasonal. And the, there's like a difference between the two. So let me address both mm, of those. Yeah. There's the seasonal friends where there is like a, a purpose for a friendship, whether you work together or you lived in the same city and you just know that that was a friend for that time. And if you probably saw each other again in the same city, you'd be like, oh my gosh, it's so good to see you. But yeah. when a relationship does become toxic or the differences are so great that you have to like DTR and define the relationship in a way that you know this is a necessary ending, it's just difficult. Sometimes you'll be able to have a conversation, not that you're like, we're breaking up, but you just go, you know, you've got to resolve some things. Other times they just fall away. And that's when I think, again, grief comes back in. So we're going to go right back there again. I think we live yeah. in a society that doesn't know how to grieve properly. We get stuck in the mm -hmm. cycle. We never get to a place of acceptance, but we stay in the anger or we stay in the, the denial or we stay in the depression, but we don't get to, or the bargaining, but we don't get to a place where we're, God, I accept the pain of the reality of where we're at. And I ask that you would heal my heart and I release them to you and I forgive them for the pain that they've caused me. And I pray that they can forgive me for the pain I've caused them. And then we move forward. And then the next time you see them, you hope you're mature. But usually adrenaline just starts pumping through your veins and you feel it in your gut and you're like, hi, good to see you. <laughs> and we just do the best that we yeah. can to forgive and continue to move forward. So it can, I know I just, I feel like I just said a lot right then. I hope that was helpful. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. It's the, I mean, you, the, this theme that we seem to keep coming back to in our conversation days, this idea of grief. Mm -hmm. um, I think everybody listening has something to grieve right now and, mm -hmm. and I know in part of my own journey, whether it's relationships or stuff we hope to do in the last while or, you know, a vacation that never happened, big things or small things, mm. a way of life or a thing we thought would happen in life mm -hmm. that hasn't happened, won't happen. Um, you know, the comfort of that, like Jesus grieved that, like, mm. that we have like a, cl like our closest friend it can, we can learn something about grief and how to grieve from God, mm -hmm. um, that Jesus, like the classic Jesus wept line yeah. like when he lost his friend. Yeah. Um, I'm just so grateful that that's a part of our faith. And I think mm -hmm. the closer we come to the humanity of Jesus, the closer we get to all of these human feelings and yes, how real it's it is. True. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you yeah. talk about betrayal too, like in mm -hmm. your book about navigating betrayal, like Jesus, Jesus has been like the famous betrayal of Jesus, Jesus, mm -hmm. right? By Judas and well, yeah. all of us, frankly. By, by Judas. And then even, I think the more I thought about it, I was like, and even Peter, and, but Peter's the one that is restored and then starts the church on Pentecost and basically does the first art, altar call and baptism. And it like boldly proclaims yeah. because he deals with the betrayer that he was in his heart and, yeah. and repents and moves forward. And so... Yeah, but Jesus, I think, I think we forget that he put on God, put on flesh to walk a mile in our shoes. And he is, we don't even have to make him relevant. He is deeply relevant. <laughs> and he shows us once again, the way to live in every relationship. I mean, he laid everything down. We just don't want to do what he did because it's really difficult. 
Yeah. Well, I love what you, I love what you said. We just don't want to do it. It's like we can read it and we want to like analyze it and do a big Bible study on it, but actually we just don't want to do it. <laughs> Sometimes it is quite clear. We just don't want to do it. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, this book, Friendship, It's Complicated. <laughs> it is complicated. Mm-hmm. And I think it's more complicated than ever as we're navigating um, this digital life where a lot of friends, yeah. most of our relationship is now like mm-hmm. text messages that can be misread or, uh, you know, just tone, the dynamics yes. of mm-hmm. tone and all that kind of stuff that can happen in the digital space. But before we, before we end today, mm-hmm. I want to to pivot because I want to talk about, um, you know, really like this is all in the context of a larger work that you do. And particularly I want to talk about, um, you know, coffee with Andy podcasting, awakening Mm -hmm. TV. Um, Mm -hmm. what's going on in that space for you? Because there's the people listening who are podcasters or, you know, media content creators themselves or are wanting to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, what do you, how do you think of those spaces as part of your ministry? Like, is that, um, it's just for fun. Are you using that as a discipleship tool? Is it a teaching mm-hmm. tool? Are you using it to reach lost people? Like what is the purpose of all this work you're doing in these media spaces? And then like, I'd love to know kind of like what's been working or like what, what gets you excited about that right now? Yeah, I think the podcast in and of itself, just even what we're doing today, I have felt like has been one of the most beautiful, effective ways to reach people in spaces that I never thought that I would be able to go. It's, mm-hmm. um, but also, yes, like as a discipleship tool, I feel like these conversations, um, these are the sorts of conversations as a kid you think about. I'm like, gosh, I wish I would have known this. I wish I would have known what someone was struggling with and how Jesus was there for them. The spirit of, te- uh, what is it? Um, our testimony is the spirit of prophecy. So every time we, we testify to what Jesus has done, are we in a podcast when I sit with them and they tell a story of how G- what Jesus has done, it prophesies over somebody else's life that he will do it again. He can do it again. And so wow. for me, I feel like what it does is I just want to be a hope giver, a hope dealer, if you will. I want to be someone who... I am so passionate about the word, about the presence of God, about prayer, about the church. Like my hope is that it just, the passion catches people on fire and that they go, I can have that too. Like we can, we, we will, we will crave whatever we feed ourselves with. And so I think that we've just got to get good at feeding ourselves with the right things. And I pray that every time that I have a conversation with someone, that that's exactly what it does is it feeds them something Mm -hmm. that causes them to want more of Jesus. And so, but I am loving, like I do love the podcast. It's probably, there's, especially as a mother with four kids who is mainly at home with them when I'm not traveling, um, I have found it something where I can, you know, um, when we, when I'm doing coffee with Andy with awakening, it's also the podcast at the same time. So it's in a week pocket that I record a whole bunch of episodes. My kids get to come with me. Um, you know, I do it in times where it works as a family, but then it also is highly effective. What is that? What's that called when it's, um, uh, high yield, but low maintenance. So it's like low maintenance in the sense that we, we hit it, we do, we do it really quickly. Um, it's a lot of hard work in a short amount of time with, with a good return. And so I love to be able to just do that and invest in people's lives and share my friends, you know, that have a whole lot of great things (laughs) to say. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, what advice would you give to others? I mean, there's, there are a lot of people listening, whether it's like they want to do YouTube stuff Mm -hmm. or they want to launch their podcast. Just the today I was on the phone with somebody who's, you know, looking for advice, starting a podcast themselves. Um, what would you say to those people? Do you think like everyone should do this or you think, oh my gosh, most people should never do this. <laughs> but I mean, just as a very practical thing, like what would be, what would be some advice or encouragement for people who have this on their heart too? Yeah. I don't think it's for everyone. So no, I hope that's okay to say, just like everyone's not called to be a singer. Like if, you know, yeah. um, I would say glean from people that you really respect. You may not be able to get a conversation with them, but if you love how they ask questions, love how they draw stuff out of people. So just be teachable, be a learner, be someone who is, is I, I am, I, I did this podcast with this girl. Um, her name is Georgia Brown. And she is 23 years old. I was like, dang, girl, you're 23. And you were one of the best interviewers I ever have had. And so I learned from her as we did a show together. And I think 
that we've got to glean from other people. I would say, um, I need a team. You need a team. You need people that are going to be able to do it with you. Unless we'll see, know yourself. I am a mother of four. I am not going to be editing my podcast. So you've got a budget for it. You've got to figure out like, is this something I can afford right now? Can I afford it time-wise? Can I afford it financially? Can I afford it to really think it through um, digitally when I'm getting it out there? Um, So I don't know if that's helpful. I think for me, I just knew like, this is something that I really love and want to do. Um, So I jumped out there and did it. And I hope that's okay. Would you agree or disagree with me? Do you think everyone yeah, should well, even, do it? <laughs> no, no. I think more and more, I think most of us should probably sit down and be quiet. <laughs> uh, you know, I feel that of myself too. I mean, do we really need more voices on the internet? I mean, we need some, um, but not all of them have to be on the internet. And I think that's where like, but if people really feel it's on their heart. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I think... I'll say this, that I think how much work it is will start to weed people out. And it's a so, lot of work. you know, mm-hmm. I appreciate what you're saying about like, have you budgeted for the editing and how you're doing it in like a short intensive period of time where you record a bunch all at once in a batch and then you can release them over the mm-hmm. period of time. Um, because it's a ton of work, a ton of time, a ton of mm-hmm. money. And at the beginning, you're not very good. You're going to get better. It's true. So, I used uh, to say like, um, 75 times. I'm like, can you edit out any of my ums? I say it so much. <laughs> or I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, stop talking. I was the worst. Oh, sorry. I <laughs> yeah. interrupted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... No, no, it's all, no, it's good. This is a great conversation. Just to say that I don't, I don't think I knew really how much work it would be before I started. I'm sure you didn't know either because you don't know what you don't know. Mm-mm. And I think that that will probably weed out some of the people who are kind of interested, but it really isn't a gift area, a calling on their life or, uh, you know, a thing they need to lean into this season. For some people, it's just not the thing. There's so many mm-hmm. other ways they could spend their time and use their voice in other ways. So, And one yeah. other thing I would say too, once again, knowing your season, mama for traveling, pastoring a church, writing, I knew that I, I know some people that have a podcast where they release one every week. I knew that could not be what I would do. So you have to know yourself, know your rhythm. And for me, I went, I could do, I could do seasons where it's like eight episodes and I may only release two seasons a year. And that's okay. And guess what? All of 2020, I released zero seasons. I had nothing to say. <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. just so no, broken and quiet. That. Does that make sense? So that's yes. okay too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and that's where too, like I often say to people, you know, in the, the work that I'm doing, like, hey, we're not like a, you know, a multi-billion dollar media conglomerate. Like if we don't release this episode or if you don't release that video or whatever it is you're doing, like, Tomorrow, even though that was your deadline, like the world isn't going to fall down. So doing mm-hmm. it at a pace that is healthy. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I hope that, that helps. <laughs> yeah. Andy, thanks so much for the conversation, for enlightening us about the back, uh, not the Backstreet Boys. Oh my gosh, that was sacrilegious. The <laughs> new kids so... on the block. Whoa. I mean, it's okay. I like the Backstreet Boys too. I'm, it's fine. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry for what I said, but, uh, no, I mean, it's it's been so fun to to chat with you. And I do want people to lean into the topic of your book about friendship. I think that there's some good introspection that people Mm -hmm. have an opportunity to do coming off of what you've just shared with us. So thank you for being authentic. And if people want to find more of you, your work, your podcast, your church, where do you want to send people? The easiest place to go would just be my website because it's literally all there. So it's andyandrew.com. And Andy is spelled A-N-D-I with an I, no Y, I. And then Andrew with no S on the end, just like the name, andyandrew.com. So that would be, and that's all my social media handles too. They're all at Andy Andrew. So that's where you can find my books and free stuff and the podcast and it's all there. Awesome. Oh my goodness. Well, we're going to send people there. Andy, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. I'm so grateful. Thank you, Andy, for that conversation. It was really great to get to know her as we have these mutual friends. It was really fun to finally get to know her for myself and to, you know, see her heart on display. Next week on the podcast, we have Costi Hinn, as in the nephew of Benny Hinn, the televangelist. And he's going to get really real with us on this episode. He's going to be talking about growing up in that Benny Hinn family, what it was like to be around 
the um, the miracle worker and the televangelist and the extravagance of this lifestyle that they were living. He talks really honestly about it with us and why he's gone a different way. So he's talking about what he thinks about miracles today, even as he struggles with his own son with some serious health conditions, talking about church planting and the church he's about to launch. So you're going to love that episode with Costa Hin next week. Thanks to our sponsors, Compassion Canada and The Church Co., who are making this possible. Click on those links down in the show notes. We got um, amazing opportunities for you to get involved in what they're doing and they want to serve your needs by helping you find gifts for people in your life and helping you build a stunning website at a crazy affordable price. Go to our YouTube channel for tutorials, back catalog of podcasts, whatever that may be. And the Digital Church Facebook group is where it's at day to day, week to week. We want to train, equip, and connect with you there. So join us in the Digital Church Facebook group. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Word Made Digital Podcast with Joanna LaFleur. If you like this content, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Rate it and share this episode with your friends. Head over to wordmadedigital.com for more free tools and helpful content for creatives and communicators. We love helping you communicate the best news in the world.